Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And, uh, hello, everyone. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today on the podcast. Our conversation today is one of a fairly sensitive nature, but it, uh, I think, very clearly demonstrates the importance of dealing with some issues head-on, even in, in very difficult times. Hi, everybody. Uh, Jim Mitchell here again, and, and today I'll be joined by attorney Heather Walzer from Lavelle Law Limited as we take a look at some of the legal and financial concerns that need to be addressed when a family member is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, dementia, or other uh, debilitating disease that, that impacts mental capacity and clarity. Uh, a lot to cover, a lot of very important information. I'd like to get to it now, and let me start by first of all saying hello to Heather, and uh, you know, so good to have you back on the podcast today. Well, thanks, Jim. Uh, nice, to, nice to talk to you, and it's always a pleasure to be here. Uh, as I mentioned, we're, you know, we're going to focus on situations, uh, you know, sensitive and difficult to deal with, but um, important nonetheless. And, and we're going to look at uh, the scenario in which a person knows that their mental condition is, is going to eventually cost them cognitive ability. They will eventually lose the ability to make sound decisions for themselves, um, devastating in its own right. How do we define, as we begin our discussion, when someone passes over that line uh, to being incapacitated from a from a mental or cognitive standpoint? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, and it's it's unfortunately it can be a very difficult one to answer, um, particularly with diseases like Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, it can be very kind of a gray area as far as how people are able to function because at one minute they may seem completely lucid and fine and they may truly have capacity to understand what's going on, but 10 minutes later they may not remember having had the conversation. So that is sort of the big question in terms of these issues and planning for these issues. For our purposes, um, it's really kind of just a question of fact and and discussing it with the the client. And then Ultimately, um, we rely pretty heavily on the doctors um, to ask kind of their opinion and their assessment of the cognitive function of the person in question. But that really is kind of the crux of the issue with with these types of matters is just um, if the person has capacity and if they do, what things do we need to take care of before they lose it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, as we go into this topic, I kept thinking about it. I don't want to appear insensitive to individuals dealing with very devastating news and and probably facing a lot of medical decisions they have to deal with. But uh, without being self-serving, the reality is for their own good, they really need to take action as early as possible. Isn't that right? Absolutely right, because unfortunately with these diseases, we really know that it's not a question of what's going to happen. It's just a question of when. Um, and, you know, there are medications and treatments now that can kind of prolong it, and people can still be very, you know, live comfortably and, and well. Um, but there are, like you say, there are certain issues that they need to um, they need to handle and take care of because the fact of the matter is once you have that diagnosis, you need to act quickly because you just really don't know what the future is going to bring. So 
essentially, once once a diagnosis like that comes down, as you said, there are going to be a host of medical decisions and treatment options and all of those attendant, you know, things that are just complicating in a very difficult situation. However, in the middle of all this, another consideration is just the legal documents and the legal steps that 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 individual and their family member should take. Well, let, let's talk about those. And and really, I think what we're going to find today, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you know the process doesn't need to be immediately making all of the long-term decisions. What we're talking about is just taking steps to put a process in place to make sure those decisions are handled appropriately. Correct, correct. That's that's really the what what you're looking to do. And basically, um, first and foremost, there there are two kind of considerations or two issues that caregivers or you know the actual patients themselves should think about. First, they need to make sure that they have planned for their future medical decision making and healthcare needs because ultimately, once you lose that mental capacity, you've got to have someone who's going to be making decisions. Um, for you in that respect. Um, and in a similar fashion, you've got to make plans for the same type of arrangements with respect to your your property, so your finances, any real estate that you own, any of those things that would need to be handled if you were not able to do them yourself. So those well, are kind of the two categories of issues that need to be addressed immediately. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about each of those individually. Let's, let's start first with the medical and, and care issues for the patient. Now, there are certain documents and rights that should be addressed and taken care of. Can you kind of walk us through what we have to deal with there in terms of that piece of it? Sure, absolutely. The most important document in that planning process for health care is called the Power of Attorney for Health Care. Um, you know, years ago, and, and you'll still hear people talk about this, but years ago in Illinois, people were typically advised to do a living will. And what a living will did is it laid out exactly what the individual would want if something were to happen and they weren't be able to, weren't going to be able to make medical decisions for themselves. For example, you know, it, it would lay out kind of criteria. If if this if if I am in this particular type of condition, then you should make these sort of treatment options. But what we found over time is that those types of documents, the living will, became problematic when they did not address the exact situation that was presenting itself. If the person had a condition or an illness or some sort of treatment possibility that was not covered by the four corners of that living will document, the physicians really didn't know what to do. So what has evolved since then um, through the Illinois statutes is uh, a power of attorney for health care, which is a document that names an agent. So you name a single person or a series of people who if you are unable to make a medical decision for yourself, the physicians and the caregivers would look to that person who's named in the power of attorney for health care and say, what do we do here? And that agent has absolute authority to make that decision for you. Now, it's not that by creating that power of attorney document that you are just giving up your decision and saying it's totally up to this person. Ideally, you should have a conversation with that agent and explain to them exactly what you would like and then within the context of the power of attorney document, there is a separate paragraph that describes the type of treatment options that you would want to be chosen. But the long story short of it is you need to basically choose a person or a series of people who would make your medical decisions for you if you were not able to make them yourself. Then you would need to execute a power of attorney for health care stating who those people are. Okay. Now, is there a similar document that you would use to protect your assets uh, once you're in this condition? 
There is, in fact, and it's truly, it's a very similar document, except instead of governing decisions about your health care, it governs decisions about your finances, uh, any assets that you have, even things like medical benefits or retirement plans. All of those things would be covered under the scope of um, what we call the power of attorney for property. And sometimes people confuse that and they think, well, property, does that just mean real estate? No, it covers anything um, that has to do with your finances or things that you own. Um, so in a similar fashion to the power of attorney for health care, basically when you create your power of attorney for property, you would choose an agent or, again, it's better to choose multiple people. So you, you name one person, and then in the event that that first person you choose is not able to act, you have one or two backups chosen as well who would step in. But essentially, you name a person to act as an agent, and you give them the power to manage your assets, your financial assets or, or other financial things, in the event that you are unable to do so. Now, that agent, by statute, is required to act in a fiduciary capacity and to act in your best interest. So, you know, when you're choosing a person to act as an agent, obviously you're going to want to choose someone who's trustworthy and who's going to manage your assets in the way that you would want them to. But sometimes my clients are encouraged to hear that, you know, the the, the agent is governed by statute that, that requires them to act prudently and requires them to act in the best interest of of the person signing the power of attorney for property. So that is uh, those two documents, the healthcare power of attorney and the property power of attorney are vitally important in these kind of cases because they cover the period when mental capacity is kind of dwindling or or potentially impaired or or not present anymore. Um and it allows people to step in and manage the, the Alzheimer's dementia patients' um, assets and health care. In, in terms of choosing those people, two, two quick questions. One, do they need to be family members? And, and two, could they be the same person for both? Well, I'll start with question two. They can be okay. the same person for both. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I always like to highlight to people they don't have to be, and in many cases – it's not the best choice for them to be. You know, for example, I give this I give this example to my clients frequently. If you have one child who's an accountant and one child who's a nurse, it may make sense to name the accountant to be your, you know, power of attorney for property and name the nurse the power of attorney for healthcare. But so really it's a it's an the, the two the two agencies, the one under the the healthcare power and the one under the property power are two very different types of decision making. You know, one deals with a little bit more emotional, a little bit more, you know, related to medical care, whereas the other is a little bit more sort of accounting type work and and dealing with management of bank accounts and that type of thing. So you you absolutely can name the same the same person for both if that would be a good fit, but you certainly don't have to. Um, And then to address your first question, there's no reason that it needs to be a family member. In fact, sometimes putting a family member in that position would not be an ideal place for them to be because some of these decisions can be very, very difficult and very traumatic. Um, so it's really just it's a decision you have to make based on the person who would be the best fit for the job and not necessarily the one who's your oldest son or your you know, spouse or whomever, whomever you know, it would seem should be the person you would ask. My uh, guest today is Heather Walzer of Lavelle Law Limited. I always feel very fortunate when, when Heather has time to join us uh, for these conversations. 
And we've got just a couple minutes left, Heather, but one of the things that comes to mind is past conversations I've had with some of your colleagues where we've discussed um, the need for estate planning tools and how they avoid probate if when someone dies, if, if, if you have those tools in place. In terms of loss of mental capacity, is it a similar scenario that if you don't have these documents in place, you could be very much at risk in terms of letting the court make decisions for you? Yes, absolutely. That is absolutely the case. And, you know, unfortunately, in some of these circumstances, sometimes people, by the time they get the diagnosis, unfortunately, in the worst scenarios, it's too late to take these steps that I've been talking about to create the powers of attorney or possibly create the estate plan. Um, In those cases, that's exactly the solution that that generally has to be followed, and that's seeking court intervention. And the type of court intervention that we would seek in that instance is kind of similar to a probate matter, but it's called a guardianship. And basically what happens in a guardianship is someone who is close to the patient or a family member or someone who is just concerned would open a, a guardianship proceeding and essentially just tell the court, look, you know, my mom or my uncle or or whomever it is has dementia and is not able to care for him or herself anymore, either financially or in terms of, you know, taking care of him or herself physically and in terms of health care, and I would like to petition the court to be named their guardian. So that is, it's a really good analogy, actually, that you bring up. It really is very similar to a probate proceeding, and it's, it's sort of, analogous to just as if you don't do estate planning before you pass away, um, the court's got to step in and open a probate proceeding. Similarly, if you don't take steps to plan for incapacity, such as the powers of attorney for health care and property, then at that point, the court really kind of needs to step in to name a guardian. Well, uh, as always, many thanks to Heather for uh, joining us today. A lot we uh, have covered, a lot more we could. We always run out of time. Um, if you would like to get more information about her practice, uh, you can do so at lavellelaw.com um, and find some of her uh, past articles there as well. Uh, I'm also one who follows Heather on Twitter. You can as well and watch for her as a contributor on patch.com uh, for insight on a number of legal topics. Now, next week, Emil Altas and I will talk about family law. We'll look at ways to potentially amend custody judgments. Uh, a lot to cover there. We look forward to having you join us for that. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.